Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are with us in person, are joining us via live stream, or watching on demand at some later date, we're glad for the opportunity to worship with you today. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. When you think about it, it's amazing that through the gift of technology, we can connect to one another regardless of location and worship together. No matter when or where you are watching from, we're glad you are here with us. Here at Dayspring, we believe nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just curious about church, or maybe you're just looking for some hope. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. Your journey matters to us, and we would love nothing more than to walk with you. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church or by checking out our Facebook page. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. To help you get the most out of the message today, we've prepared some discussion questions to help you process what you are learning on your own or with others. You can find the discussion guide in our resources section of our website. And now, let's worship together. Well, I was today years old when I found out that we've been lied to. I loved my science teachers in high school. I was and probably still am a bit of a nerd after all, so that I'm sure that comes as no surprise to anyone. I was almost a straight-A student. A couple of Bs, well, and to be completely truthful, one C. But that was in P.E., and everyone knew that non-basketball players never did well in the basketball coach's P.E. class. I'm not bitter or anything, but I would like to see him try some higher math. But it wasn't him that lied to me. It was the science teachers that I loved. Take biology. Uh, this is what we were told dinosaurs looked like. Of course, Steven Spielberg brought it home for us in Jurassic Park and all the movies that followed. Turns out, that's a lie. They had feathers. Also, we've, we've been taught that we have five senses, taste, touch, sight, hearing, and smell. Wrong again. We actually have nine to 20 senses. We also sense balance, acceleration, pain, and temperature, among others. And while we're at it, penguins don't mate for life. Some of them might be monogamous during mating season, but not for life. Uh, chameleons don't change colors to blend in with their surroundings. They change colors to communicate their mood, aggression, territory, and mating behavior. Which leaves me wondering, if red is the color of love for us, what is it for chameleons? 
And get this, we've all heard and been taught that we only use 10% of our brains. Clearly, some people even less. Also not true. Only a few neurons might be firing at any time, but that isn't the only thing going on in your brain. Even just saying a few words lights up more than 10%. Uh, Now, my biology teacher wasn't the only liar. Let's talk physics. Uh, Everyone made a big herkin deal about Copernicus challenging the truth, as it was believed at that time, that the sun and stars orbited around the earth. It took almost a hundred years for his theory that the earth orbited around the sun to get any traction. Again, not true. We aren't in orbit around the sun. We actually orbit around the solar system's center of mass, which is usually located within the mass of the sun. But when it's not, we're just orbiting around empty space. Now, those weren't the only lies we were taught in school. Napoleon wasn't a little shorty. He was about 5'7". Vikings didn't have horns on their helmets. There's no such thing as a sugar rush. It doesn't take seven years to digest gum. (laughs) We were all told that when we were kids. Don't swallow your gum. It'll take seven years. For those of us that swallowed our gum all the time, what was, I mean, like, was there any room for food in our stomach? Did you know that George Washington didn't have wooden teeth? They were actually a combination of gold, ivory, lead, animal teeth, and the teeth of slaves he owned. Okay, now that one's just gross. But it is the perfect illustration of a quote we've all heard that came to us from one of the works of Mark Twain. Truth is stranger than fiction. Now, I'd say that sums up George Washington's teeth. Wooden teeth are interesting, but the truth is far stranger than that. Now, of course, that is only the beginning of Twain's quote. The full quote is, truth is stranger than fiction, but it is because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities. Truth isn't. Who said you don't learn anything at church? All of that, all of that leads us into our first John passage this morning. Uh, For those of you uh, just joining us for the first time, we are studying the letters of the Apostle John this summer. Uh, Besides the Gospel of John and Revelation, we have record of three letters he wrote, probably from Ephesus to the church scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, In them, John identifies some characteristics that will become evident over time in the life of a Christ follower as a result of deep fellowship with God and other Christ followers. Uh, The word fellowship simply means in common, as in, before Jesus, we had nothing in common with God. But the longer we follow Jesus and the deeper our spiritual roots grow and our fellowship with other believers grow, the more in common with God and other Christ followers we will have. For the Christ follower, these commonalities or characteristics are the proof of our new life in Jesus. They provide the assurance of our salvation so that when we have doubts, and we all do at some point or points on our journey, these characteristics can set our hearts and minds at ease. 
I recently had a conversation with a young Christ follower who was struck with doubts after one of her close friends told her that she was an atheist and didn't believe in God. So I asked this young Christ follower if she was different today than she was six months ago. And her answer was an overwhelming yes. And could she have done that on her own if there was no God? No. So there you go. Your assurance. For Christ followers, doubts just give us a sense of the direction we need to head spiritually, the the area that we need to press into if our lives are to become more like Jesus. Now, for those of you who might be in the room or online who haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, this gives you an idea of what you should be able to expect from Christians. This is how you will recognize us most of the time. But we have to be honest, we aren't always good at living these characteristics out faithfully. That's probably obvious. The media doesn't present us in a very positive light. And when we fail, we often give them good stuff to work with. But even more than that, your own experience with us has probably at some point been disappointing. We're sorry about that. Here at Dayspring at least, We are trying to do better. So if you are a skeptic or just investigating Jesus, you should probably start with the Bible as the benchmark of what what it looks like to follow Christ. And then look for someone living it out pretty well if you have questions that you want answers for. Now, we're far enough along that I won't recap everything we've learned. Uh, You can watch our earlier messages for that. But so far, we've discovered that authentic Holy Spirit-empowered fellowship produces a joyful life and a clean or light-walking life that is evident by the way we love. And then last week, the Apostle John warned us about the wrong kind of love— Turns out we aren't supposed to love everything, just everyone. Now, as we continue in chapter 2 of 1 John, we begin to see a new overarching focus that will continue through the beginning of chapter 4. It takes up most of the, the meat of John's letter. And we're going to learn what the characteristic of discernment looks like in the life of a Christ follower. Too often, even seemingly mature Christians have a hard time discerning, which means judging between walking in the light and walking in darkness, as we've already seen, as well as discerning between right and wrong, as we've seen not only in 1 John, but as some of our science and history teachers have also illustrated so well. And as we'll see in these next verses, discerning between true doctrine and false teaching. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, we're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And even though um, we always have the verses on the screens for you, it's always a good practice to open or navigate to the passage in your Bible. That way you can highlight or circle or make other notes that will encourage and remind you in the future. So let's pick it up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. He writes, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that the last hour has come. 
Now, John is setting the stage for communicating the seriousness of turning from the truth. And in doing that, he uses two terms that we should probably unpack before we continue. As theologian Warren Wiersbe says, both terms make it clear that Christians are living in an hour of crisis and must guard against the errors of the enemy. He doesn't want us to take a casual approach to what he's writing. This is important, so make it a priority. So first, let's look at the phrase, the last hour, which shows up in, uh, twice in this verse. When we talked about the end times in our last series, we learned that we are living in the end times. But so were the first century Christians. Just as we do, they looked at what was going on in the world around them, uh, which led them hoping that they would soon experience the second coming of Jesus. And all of the Old Testament pointed to and prepared the way for Jesus to physically enter our world and make his, uh, make his way to the cross that he might pay the penalty for our sin. When Jesus was resurrected, God began doing a new thing in this world. And since that time, everything has been pointing to or preparing for the end of time when Jesus will return to earth and establish his eternal kingdom. The early church was founded in the end times. We are living in the end times. For something called the end times, 2,000 years seems to be a long time. Why hasn't Jesus returned? Now, the answer is probably less than satisfying for those of us who uh, get a little impatient. Uh, God works in human time, but he isn't bound by human time. He isn't limited by time as we are. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Peter writes, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, in that time frame, it's only been two days since Jesus returned to heaven. The phrase, the last hour, describes the kind of time, not the duration of time. The same principle would be true for the end times. With that said, while Jesus might not return, his return might not occur during our lifetime, we should live like it could be at any moment. If you knew he was coming next Friday, your priorities would all of a sudden sort themselves out. The things that will pass away would fall by the wayside and you'd become hyper-focused on the eternal that's how John thinks we should view our vigilance against deception. Now, the second term, Antichrist, also appears twice in this verse, once with a capital A and once with a lowercase a. Most of the time when we think of the Antichrist, we think of the capital A, Antichrist. In that case, the Antichrist is the person also described by Paul as the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition. Daniel's prophecies refer to him as the little horn and the abomination that causes desolations. And of course, John's book of Revelation reveals him to be the little g God who will arise during the tribulation. He will head up the final rebellion against Christ. While he might be the capital A Antichrist, 
He won't be the only Antichrist. And here in 1 John, we can look at the second appearance of the word Antichrist in two ways. First, as a spirit in this world that opposes or denies Christ, a principle of spiritual error, or as a false teacher who embodies this spirit. The spirit of Antichrist has been around since Satan declared war on God. It is behind every false doctrine and every religion that substitutes for the realities found only in Jesus. In Greek, the prefix anti can mean both against Christ and instead of Christ. So the spirit of Antichrist doesn't necessarily fight against Jesus as much as it seeks to redefine or reimagine him. An Antichrist would say he is good, but not God. He is a son of God, but not the son of God. He may have died on the cross as a martyr, but not as a savior. Anything that diminishes who Jesus was and or what he did is a spirit of Antichrist. Satan doesn't really care if we are against Christ or believe something instead of Christ. The end result is the same from his perspective. Throughout history, there have been lots of lowercase a antichrists, and the spirit of antichrist is alive and thriving in the world today. Now, as we talked about in the first message in this series, during John's time, the spirit of Antichrist would have been Gnosticism, which taught that Jesus didn't come to earth as fully man, but only a spirit. And anyone who taught Gnosticism would have been an Antichrist. The issue is pretty black and white for John. Just as you are either walking in the light or walking in the dark, or you either agape love or you hate... Uh, you either believe the truth or you believe a lie. From his perspective, a half-truth or partial truth is the same and is, is an outright lie. Jesus is the central truth of Christianity. If we get him wrong, we'll get it wrong everywhere else. It is vital that we be able to discern the difference between truth and error. Uh, verse 19 then gives us the first thing to watch for in a false teacher who is controlled by the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Now, it's probably obvious that these people, meaning Antichrist, left our churches. It tells us that not everyone who attends a church is necessarily part of the church, capital C, not necessarily a member of the family of God. The New Testament describes the church as both a local expression of or a unit of the church universal. All Christ followers belong to the capital C church, regardless of where they attend church. Christ followers who attend Salem Alliance or Countryside Christian across the street, First Baptist Church of Lima, Peru, Bangkok, Thailand, or London, England, Nairobi, Kenya, and Dayspring Fellowship are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all belong to the capital C church. And any person who believes in Christ should identify with and serve Christ at a local unit of the universal church. 
it's possible for a person to be involved at a local church and still not be a part of the true spiritual body of Christ, which is just another description of the church, the body of Christ. One of the characteristics of true Christian life is the desire to be with the people of God. Our uh, spiritual incommonness wants, uh, w- makes us want to be together. And until COVID, I think most of us took that for granted. The number one thing people have told me about coming back to church after the, pr- after the past year and a half is that feeling of, we have when we're together. The counterfeit Christians or Antichrist John is, uh, John is referring to were once a part of the fellowship of the church but left it. You can stay in the church and still not be saved, but remaining in connection to the local church is still one sign of a true Christ follower. If you look into the leaders of the false cults and anti-Christian religious systems uh, in the world, you'll find that most of the founders were once a part of a local church. They were with us, but not of us. Uh, Any group that separates itself from a local church that holds to the Word of God, no matter how religious it might seem, should be suspect. Often these groups use materials other than or in addition to the Bible for their doctrine. Uh, Which leads us to the second thing to watch for in a false teacher who is controlled by the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, Verses 20 to 25. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. The spirit of Antichrist denies the core tenet of our faith, which is Jesus and everything that surrounds him. As I've already briefly mentioned, Jesus was more than just a good man. He was more than just a prophet like Moses or Elijah or Jeremiah. He was more than a wonderful teacher. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He came in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died for our sins on the cross. He then rose from the grave three days later, conquering death, before returning to heaven where he currently advocates on our behalf with God the Father. He will come again at the end of the end times to establish his permanent eternal kingdom. In John's day, false teachers claimed to have received special anointing that gave them a unique knowledge. They were enlightened and living intellectually higher than anybody else. By the way, this wasn't just a problem during John's time. There are people today that lead churches who say things like this. But John is pointing out that all true Christ followers know God and have received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. By virtue of our belief in Jesus, we can recognize a lie when we hear it. 
All we have to do is ask the question, who is Jesus? Anything other than what Scripture teaches is a lie, which of course means we should know what Scripture teaches about Jesus. But even then, if you are walking in the light, if you are abiding in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will raise red flags in the presence of lies. If it smells funny, it should be investigated and compared to the Bible. Uh, the phrase, anyone who acknowledges the Son, in verse 23, is more than simply identifying Christ. Demons identify Christ. Uh, look at Mark 1.24. But it didn't save them. Acknowledging Christ goes beyond intellectual awareness of Christ. It is the confession of Christ. A personal, life-changing faith in Christ and what he has done. And to deny Christ is to deny God. They're one and the same. You cannot know God without knowing Jesus. False teachers deny the faith. And then beginning in verse 26, we see the third thing uh, to watch for in a false teacher who is controlled by the spirit of Antichrist. A false teacher tries to deceive the faithful. I am writing these things to warn you about uh, though, to, to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Now, I think we can all agree that the spirit of Antichrist is anyone controlled by it. Uh, uh, is, uh, and anyone controlled by the spirit of Antichrist is by definition a part of Satan's system of the world that opposes the work of Christ. God is truth, and in him there is no lie, which means that uh, any lie doesn't come from him. Uh, those who are of the world, as we talked about last week, are already deceived and part of Satan's domain. So it should come as no surprise that he spends more time focused on deceiving Christ followers than he does on anyone else. He works overtime trying to distract, destroy, and discourage true Christ followers. And if he can diminish Jesus for us by just 1%, he's doing his job successfully. That 1% will take us far off course over time. But the good news John presents in these verses that he reminds us of is that, that we don't come to the battle powerless. When we abide in Christ, when we are in tune with his spirit living in us, we bring him into the battle with us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Every Christ follower has received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When we walk in the light, we don't need anyone else to give us special knowledge. Now, for the record, John isn't discounting letting another person teach us. God has given some of us the spiritual gift of teaching others. It does mean that every one of us has the ability and responsibility to test everything we are taught against the Word of God. Even everything I teach, or Michelle, or John, or anyone else— God has given you everything you need to discern truth from error. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth and helps us recognize error. Besides the Holy Spirit, when we delight in God's Word, we walk in the strength of truth that Satan can't stand against. 
it becomes the weapon of our warfare. Jesus showed us how to do this at the end of his 40 days in the desert. Satan came against him and tried to sway Jesus into walking in the dark. Jesus quoted scripture. Satan left. Our ability to discern, to bring, uh, to bring us back around to where we started, is rooted in the word abide. Uh, in the original language, uh, the word for abide occurs several times in this passage. Uh, if you read this passage in the New American Standard Bible, you'll see it. But verse 19 says, false teachers do not abide. Uh, here in the New Living Translation, they would have stayed with us. Verse 24 says that we should remain faithful to or abide in the word we've heard. That is the message of the gospel. Verse 27 says that the Holy Spirit abides in us and we should abide in him. And verse 28 tells us that as we abide in the word and in the spirit, we also abide in Christ. In this chapter, John also wrote about abiding in verses 6, 10, 14, and 17. To abide means to remain in fellowship, which is the key idea in these first two chapters of 1 John. The key idea changes in chapters 3 to 5 uh, to being born of God, as we'll begin to see next week. When we are out of fellowship, we are at greater risk of falling for lies. And let's not just stop with Christ. When it comes to lies that Satan tries to get us to believe while Jesus is at the top of the list, that list is pretty long. It would be easy to think that this was just about the theology of Jesus. And while technically all of our theology traces back to Jesus, it isn't always that obvious. Everything in life is spiritual, and everything spiritual has theology associated with it. There is theology about our finances and stewardship, theology about marriage, biblical principles speak to how we parent, how we care for our parents, how we treat others, and how we allow them to treat us. Where we find our security is another theology. Where we find significance is another. Who God says we are versus who the world says we are, our identity, our self-worth. Most of the time, we don't think of theology that way. We narrow focus to Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, salvation, the end times, etc. But for Christ followers, everything is theology. One of the tactics of Satan is to fool us into forgetting that. He is sneaky and insidious. Most of us would catch the overt theologies if he came at us that way. So he comes at us from other angles. I've been following Christ for more than 45 years. And I still struggle with the lie that I am not enough. I am not enough as a pastor. I am not enough as a husband, as a man, as a father. I know it's not true biblically. And yet I still regularly fight this lie. I am not enough is darkness, not light. It's a part of my dance with the dark that we've been talking about these past few weeks. It's one of the sneaky ways Satan tries to bring me down. If he said, Chris, uh, uh, Jesus wasn't God, I'd laugh in his face. So instead of that, he comes against me this way. Because I know the parts of my life that I don't think measure up. So there's just enough truth for him to snag me. In fact, I believe with all of my heart that 
that I am not enough is one of the most prevalent and destructive lies that we struggle with. I'm not sure that I've met anyone who didn't face this lie in their lives. All lies are the spirit of Antichrist. We must be on guard for all deception. It all comes from the enemy of our souls and fights against God's redeeming work on earth. Now, it would be a mistake for you to walk out of here or close out of the service online, either discouraged, thinking, I just don't know enough about Jesus to protect myself, or thinking, I've got this. I know what the Bible says about Jesus, so I'm good. This isn't about your knowledge of Jesus or anything else we believe. Yes, you should have knowledge, and it will help you with your discernment. Knowledge isn't bad. It is just incomplete. More important than knowledge is abiding. Even the newest believer who is abiding can stand against the lie because the Holy Spirit isn't new to the Christian life. He recognizes a lie when he hears one. And abiding puts you in touch with him. Abiding begins in the Word of God. If you aren't regularly in the Word of God, and by regularly I mean often, not I have a regular schedule of once a month whether I need it or not. If you aren't often in the Word of God, then you have a problem. Whether you know the right doctrine or not, you've got a problem because you aren't abiding. It is impossible to abide outside of the Word of God. And as we've learned, the lack of sin and obedience to God's Word are the next steps. Mark Batterson, one of the authors I regularly read, says this, There are aspects of the gospel that are puzzling and difficult to understand. But our problems are not centered around things we don't understand, but rather in the things we do understand, the things we could not possibly misunderstand. We know perfectly well, but we don't want to do it. Obedience to what you do know is more important than knowing everything. Knowledge will grow over time. But let obedience lead the way. It is a key component of abiding. So as we close, two questions for you to consider. First, are you abiding? Or maybe, what do you need to do to deepen your abiding? We all have something, some area we can grow in. And that something probably ties into the sin that most controls us or the lie we we struggle with most. So question two, what ammunition do you give the enemy in his fight against you, against Christ's work in you? And what would it take to turn that ammo into blanks? If Jesus does come next Friday, you'll regret not pressing into this truth. So press in as you press on. The truth is stranger than fiction. And fiction says that you have all the time in the world that other things matter more. You don't. And they don't. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit in our fight against deception. And even with the Holy Spirit, uh, if 
if we're honest about it, uh, we, we don't do a very good job in the fight against deception. We dance with the dark as we've been talking about. We allow the lies of the enemy to come against us and we buy into them time and time again, even when we know that they're lies. So Father, help us learn to fight the lie with truth, with the truth found in your word. Lead us to scripture that speaks truth against the lies that we're most susceptible to. More than anything, Father, lead us to abide in Jesus, to abide in the Holy Spirit, to um, delight in the presence of God in our lives. That we'll be so in tune with heaven that hell will never have any place in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and your commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. There is no expectation or obligation for you to give. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen. And for those of you who still use them, you can also mail a check to us. We'd like to thank those of you who subscribe, like, and share these messages with your friends. If you are listening on our podcast, feel free to leave a review. More of Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we appreciate your help inviting others to check him out. We'll see you next week.